What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Have you ever been on a road trip that seemed like it was never going to end? There's nothing worse, in my opinion, than becoming very fatigued while driving down the road or driving on a long trip or flying in an airplane for an extended period of time. I mean, have you ever flown from coast to coast on an airplane? If you haven't, it takes about five hours from coast to coast. And depending upon the circumstances, those five hours can feel like five days. Now, here's another question I have for you. Have you ever driven from coast to coast? From the coast to coast, it will take you at least three days. And if you've ever done that and you're driving 12, 14 hours a day, you'll realize that those days are very long and it can feel like three weeks or three months. But then here's one that I'm sure very few people have ever done. Have you ever rode your bicycle across America? It can take about 30 days. And I assure you, those 30 days at times felt like three entire years. Now, as I think about riding a bicycle across America, you know, when we went out to do that, we had different goals, or at least I set different goals. My first goal, of course, was to complete every day, but I had some larger goals. One of the other goals was from to get to San Diego, to get to New, New Mexico and Emory Pass up the highest peak at 8,200 feet. And by God's grace, we made it. And then my other extended goal was to make it to Texas at the halfway point. And if I knew that we could get to Texas, then we would go all the way. And by God's grace, we, we were able to accomplish that. But I say that to say this, that a lot of people, they get into this idea of reading the Bible and they start in the book of Genesis and they say, I'm gonna read through the whole Bible. And by the time they get to the laws of Leviticus, they've, they've checked out and said, no, thank you. And so if you're gonna try to read through the Bible, the idea is to set goals along the way. Maybe start with the New Testament first, then go back to the Old Testament and say, I'm gonna read through this book here. I'm gonna get to the book of Psalms. And it's interesting, in our Bible today, this is not just the very shortest chapter in the Bible, but for those people who have actually went through and tried to find the midpoint in the canon, this is about the very middle central point in the Bible. So you open up the Bible to the very center and you'll get around Psalm 117. And it's interesting, in the very center of the Bible, I think God is trying to make a statement here that he wants all people of all nations and of all ethnicities to praise him. And the title of my message today is three words. Praise the Lord. You think you can say that with me? Praise the Lord. Now say it loud and proud. Praise the Lord. That should be the theme of our life is that we desire to praise our God for all that he's done for us. Now it's interesting, the Liberty Bible Commentary, it, it says this about this psalm. It summarizes it by saying this. This psalm is a call for universal praise unto Jehovah whose truth endures forever. And I say amen to that. Now if you've ever read the Bible Knowledge Commentary, you know, it's produced by some of the heavyweight scholars of Dallas Theological Seminary. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this about this psalm. Psalm 117 is an invitation to people everywhere to praise the Lord for his loyal love and faithfulness. 
And my friends, today we have much to praise God about. But if I could, if I could elaborate on these three words to give you a key thought that you could walk away with today, it would be this thought. Praise the Lord for who he is and all he does. Praise the Lord for who he is and for all he does. I think that is the summarization of these two verses. Now, these two verses are small in quantity, but not in quality. What we're going to discover from this psalm today in these two simple verses is that God is a very personal God, that God is a very merciful God, and that God is a very truthful God, that God desires a relationship with his people that he created, that God desires to extend his loving kindness and mercy to those of his creation, and God's amazing truth is loyal, it is steadfast, it's concrete, it's settled, it's sure, and it's going to endure throughout every generation. And so today I submit to you that we have every reason to praise our God. But I know you're probably asking the question, why should I praise the Lord? Or why should we? I mean, why exactly should we? We live in a nation that is totally running far away from God as fast as they can. We live in a culture all over the globe, no matter which continent or which country you go to, it seems like government is now shifting away from this concept of God being the sovereign potentate, that government is, is pushing away from God's loyal laws of truth, that, that they're pushing away from this idea that God created mankind in his image to glorify him. Why should we? Well, we can, because although it might be a little rainy in culture today, God is still on his throne and his sun is shining through the clouds of life. So the first thought I wanna draw your attention to is from verse number one, and it's this. The first reason of three reasons why we should praise our Lord. First of all, praise the Lord because he is the personal God. Praise the Lord because he is the personal God. It's interesting here that there are a couple key words in our passage today, and the first one is the word praise, and the second one is the word Lord. Two times in verse number one, the word praise is mentioned, and then another time the word praise is mentioned in verse number two. One time the word Lord is mentioned in verse number one, and two times the word Lord is mentioned in verse number two. And now the word praise, there are two Hebrew words used in this psalm for the word praise. Now the first one right here, the word praise, right here at the beginning phrase, oh praise the Lord, is this idea of hallelujah. It's the phrase at the very ending of the psalm too, praise ye the Lord, that we get this word hallelujah from. So it is a hallelujah praise to the Lord. Now this word Lord though, it's the same word throughout this psalm. And it is the idea that this is the eternal existing God who desires a personal relationship with his creation. Now, think about that. This omnipotent God who has so much power, he created everything by the very word of his mouth. This so God who is omniscient, he knows everything about everything about everything and he's never forgotten anything except the sins of his people that he's thrown into the bottom of the ocean. This omnipresent God, this God who is everywhere at all times. We cannot from this God. And that this omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God desires relationship with you and me. That, in my mind, is amazing. Now, here's a thought I wanna convey to you from verse number one also. There's another word here that I wanna draw your focus to, and it is the word nations. Would you say that word with me? Nations. Notice the plurality of this term. 
The interesting part about this term, it could also be rendered as Gentile nations. So the idea here is simply this, that the, the personal Lord, now this word Lord is the word for Jehovah and is the, the name that the Israelites knew God by. And it's literally saying that this personal Jehovah God, who's the eternal existent Yahweh, the God of Israel, desires relationship with all nations, all people, even Gentiles themselves. Now, most of us in here, if not probably all of us, are Gentiles. That is, we do not descend, or at least I know I don't, descend down, or at least to the best of my understanding, do not descend from a lineage of the Jewish people. Now, maybe you hear, you're here today and you are, and that's awesome, that's amazing. But here, this passage is reminding us that the Jewish God, who is the personal God, desires every nation to praise him. Now, I think it's interesting that in the Bible, there are times when the New Testament writers will look back to the Old Testament and quote the Old Testament. And to my understanding, there's one time in the New Testament where Psalm 117 shows up and it's in Paul's writing of Romans chapter 15. And in this exclamation of praise in Romans chapter 15. Paul has two verses of Psalm in his mind. He has Isaiah in his mind and he has Deuteronomy in his mind. But, but what's interesting is Romans is that great theological writing that Paul's writing discussing justification, discussing all these different things. But in chapter 15, he quotes this Psalm and he says in verse 11 of Romans chapter 15, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And laud him, all you people. There's an evangelistic emphasis here in Psalm 117. So many people will read Genesis to Malachi. They'll read the Torah. They'll read the Psalms. They'll read the prophets. And they'll say, God doesn't desire for the Gentiles to come to faith in him. However, any clear reading of the Old Testament, you'll realize that it was the nation of Israel's responsibility to declare the message that Yahweh is Lord and Jehovah is God. And they failed to do that in many instances. In Psalm 117, in addition to the book of Jonah, where Jonah goes to the Assyrian nation and shares the message of God to them, that in these pivotal passages, and then how Rahab is spared in Jericho and others we could list, God is revealing to us in this psalm of great exclamation or praise and adoration to God that God, the true personal God, wants all nations to come to him by faith. I'm reminded of what Peter said. He said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm reminded what Paul said in the book of Timothy, where he said he would have all men to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I'm reminded of what John said when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I remind what Paul said later or earlier in Romans chapter 10 that whoever, whosoever, that means anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's grace and mercy and truth, his doorway is open to all nations. But it's our responsibility, my friend, to respond to that call of salvation. So if you're here today and you've never experienced the life-changing power of God's forgiveness, we point you to the greatest one who's ever set foot in this world, and that is Jesus. How Jesus right here, this psalm, is reminding us that God 
wants the world to praise him because one day Messiah is going to come and all nations will one day bow before him in the millennium and in the age to come and worship him in spirit and in truth. And now we can do it right now, even this very moment, because 2,000 years ago, God incarnate dwelt among humanity. And there he was seen of men and women. He was seen of the angelic hosts of glory. He was seen by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people. He was seen by the publicans and the sinners and he intermingled with all of them and he died on Calvary's cross to suffer and bleed and give his life a ransom for all those who put their faith and trust in him. And my friend, we can praise the Lord because God wants every nation to bow before him. And one day every nation will, as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. Every being will bow their knee and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. But now check this out. The Bible says, oh, praise the Lord there. The first praise, this, this word for praise gives the idea of the hallelujah praise. This celebratory anthem of praise. But this next word for praise gives the idea of boasting in what somebody else has done in celebration. So consider this. God desires not just every nation to praise him, but God desires every person to praise him. Notice the phrase or the word, all you people. Praise him. In other words, our boast, our glorying should be in the one who is able to receive that glory. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians? He said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our boasting should be in what Jesus has done for us. And the Israelites here would use this psalm. Sometimes they would use this psalm in an abbreviated worship service to, to declare their praise to God. Sometimes it would be at the beginning. Sometimes it was used as like a doxology like we do today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That kind of thing. And here it gives this idea here that they are declaring their boasting, their glorying is found in the true personal God. All you people, Gentiles and Jews alike will one day be seated around the eternal throne of God in glory. And there we'll be worshiping this amazing God. So I submit to you, why wait until eternity to worship Him when we can praise Him today? Praise the Lord for who He is and for all He does. But I want to share with you secondly, the second reason why I believe we should praise the Lord is not just because he is the personal God, but secondly, from verse number two, at least the first part of verse two, praise the Lord because he is the merciful God. Praise the Lord because he is the merciful God. Look at verse number two, the very first part. It says, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. Could you say merciful kindness with me? Merciful kindness. Say it again. Merciful kindness. Now, there are times in other languages when one word can translate another word into another language. And then there's times when you have one word in one language and it takes two, three, four, or multiple words to give the idea of what that original word is saying. And now this word in the Bible here, in the Hebrew Bible for the word, the phrase merciful kindness is one word and it is the word hesed that Brother Joel's been talking about in Sunday school many times. And it's the idea of God's loyal, steadfast kindness and his amazing love and sometimes it's rendered as loving kindness 
in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's rendered as merciful kindness in the English Bible. But the idea is simply this. God's mercy is full of kindness. Kindness that we really cannot comprehend. This idea that, that God was so kind to humanity that even when humanity lost his way in the garden in the book of Genesis, that God devised a plan in eternity past to rescue him from sin. He raised up Abraham, called him out of his country to go to another. He raises up Moses, he raises up Joshua, he raises up the prophets, and they all come and they're preaching. The Messiah is going to come, and this is all revealing to us to how kind God is. Because God is merciful, therefore God is kind and loving. There are so many people who will read the Bible. They're skeptic, of course, and they, they get this idea that, that how could a God who is considered merciful and loving and kind declare somebody guilty for all eternity separated from him in the lake of fire? Well, I know that's a tough question sometimes to ask and answer, but the simple answer is simply this. God cannot allow sin into heaven. And because mankind chose to disobey God in the garden, we have separated ourselves from God. And because we no longer meet that standard that God has set, he cannot allow us into heaven. And God has warned us of the age to come that if we are not responsible and, and come to faith in Christ, then we will exit out of the doorway of life into God's eternal judgment. But you see, God had a plan to rescue us from that judgment to come. And it involves Jesus. And that is kind. That God would rescue us from our total sinfulness. The verse goes on here. It says, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. God's mercy is not just full of kindness. But God's mercy is also full of greatness. Back in 2020, right before the pandemic took place, I was privileged to go on a cruise. I, I, I tell people I went on the carnival cruise. I was at the, the Walmart version of cruising. You know, the, it was interesting. But, but anyways, as, as, as you see all these commercials and these advertisements on the cruise, you see people outside on the boat and they're just having a really nice time. They go to the very front of the boat and they take pictures and they look picture perfect. You go to the back of the boat and everything looks picture perfect. So that night that, that I dressed up and to go to dinner, I got on my nice outfit that I took and, and I decided I'm going to go to the very front of the boat and I'm going to get a nice picture. And I go to the very front of the boat and, and lo and behold, at the very front of the boat is not as nice as I thought it was. You have this 50, 60 mile an hour wind just blowing right in front of you. My suit coat's going everywhere. My hair's everywhere. Those pictures were terrible. So I said, I'm going to go to the back of the boat and not as bad, but still bad on the side of the boat, wind everywhere. And then I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to enjoy the day. I'm going to go to the pool because it won't be windy there because it's blocked. And sure enough, wind everywhere on that cruise boat. So the commercials are lies. Yes, they're lies. But it was still fun, and I still got to eat a lot. And I say that to say this, that as I was there on the boat, as the days went on, we were in the body of the water. And no matter if I went to the front of the boat and I looked out, if I looked to the right or to the left or I looked to the back, everywhere I saw for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, what seemed like forever was water. Water, water, and more water. I would have had to be stranded in the sea, in the midst of all that water. No cell phone signal, 
know nothing. The vastness of the sea is hard to comprehend. But I say that to say this. That is wide and as vast as the sea is, as great as it is, it does not compare to how great God's mercy and loving kindness is towards you and me. I mean, they say the Mariana Trench is, is some 36 plus thousand feet down into the ocean, the very deepest part. God's great mercy runs far deeper than the deepest part of the ocean. God's great mercy runs far higher than the very peak of Mount Everest. God's grace is so great. God's mercy is so vast that we can't do anything but praise the Lord and shout hallelujah for who he is and for what he does. I don't know about you, but I'm going to praise the Lord with my life. This week, I'm going to praise the Lord for all he's done and for, what, and for who he is. Because he is my personal God who has given me mercy. But I want to share with you thirdly and finally from the last phrase of verse number two. The Bible says in verse one, Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. But then check it out now. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Thirdly, of why we should praise the Lord is because he is the truthful God. Praise the Lord because he is the truthful God. This word for truth here in the Bible, it gives the idea of something that is full of stability, something that is certain, something that is true and trustworthy, something that's established, something that is faithful. So consider this, God's truth is full of of certainty. God's truth is full of certainty. Now I know that you might pick up the Bible here. I mean, I'm, I'm included. We might pick it up. We might start reading in Deuteronomy or the book of Judges or Joshua or we might read the book of Matthew. We might read the book of Acts and we, we might read the book of Revelation. We'll, we'll get to these passages. We're like, man, I have no idea what this is. Uh, this must not be true if, it, it's, if it's mentioning dragons. I mean, come on. If it's mentioning this big creature, Leviathan or Behemoth, I mean, this can't be true. If it's mentioning, mentioning the earth swallowing up people in the days of the Old Testament or the sun standing, this, this, this can't be true. People will always bring that up. But the reality is this, is that if you believe that God spoke the world into existence, that by its own definition is a miracle. It's, it's something that can't be explained by our mind. And that if God created the world with a miracle, then don't you think that throughout the world's existence, there's going to be miracles? And so here, I don't have to be able to explain everything to you in a tangible, scientific way to believe it. But what I can show you is that I can take you to places where, where the cities that are mentioned in the Bible, not all of them, but I can take you to many of them where the Bible actually, this place, this is where we believe it took place. There are characters mentioned here and outside sources. That means outside of biblical references, you can go to secular sources and you can discover that there are times when people reference in the ancient world the things of the Bible. And so listen, listen, I think it's important that we understand what we believe and why we believe it, but I'm convinced that the greatest source of truth in the world is not the Declaration of Independence, is not the Constitution of the United States, as great as that is. The greatest source of truth is not the, the Encyclopedia Britannica. The greatest source of truth is found right there in your hand or in your lap. It's called the Bible. 
Because this Bible, while it is not exclusively an historical book, while it's not an exclusively uh, ge- geography book or, or any of those other types of things, it's a book about God and his dealings with humanity. And in that, it involves history. In that, it involves geography. In that, it involves archaeology. In that, it involves so many different things. But it's a book that reveals to us the truth of our past, that is God created us in his image. And you, myself, all of us, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made in God's marvelous image. Tripart beings, body, soul, spirit, just like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that because we've been created in his image, God wants us to live our life as a means of worship and praise and glory to him. But our present state is, is that we are fallen. We are separated from God and we need Jesus. And the future, it reveals that we either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And I believe that the truth that God has given to us is certain. I don't always understand every phrase, every word, every chapter, every passage. But what I do understand is this is a supernatural book that God miraculously gave to us. When written language was about being started and begun is when God began to speak to Moses to write down his law and throughout the centuries God has been dealing with his people through his word and we have it in our language but then consider this God's truth is not only full of certainty but God's truth endures throughout all eternity the word forever here gives the idea of something that never has a beginning or an ending It says the truth of the Lord. That is, here earlier in verse number one, it spoke about how this personal, self-existing God is the God of Israel, and he's personal. And so here, the same word, this personal God, has a truth that he's given to all the nations, and this truth will not pass away. This truth will not come to cease to exist. This truth endures from age to age, from generation to generation, from century to century, from millennium to millennium, and from the temporal into the eternal. And then the psalm ends with that phrase, praise the Lord. Begins with hallelujah, and it ends with hallelujah. It begins with praise the Lord, and it ends with praise the Lord. And I submit to you today that our life, our life existence should begin with a declaration of praising the Lord and it should end with an anthem of God has been so good to me in my life for all the who he is and for what he's done and I desire nothing less than praising him. As we come to a conclusion today, I, I think about church history and while I do not believe church history is authoritative like scripture is, What church history does do is it helps affirm to us the authoritative book that God has given to us. And the interesting thing is, is is I find it interesting what some of the great theologians of the past have said about different parts of the Bible. And I think it's amazing what some of them have said about this one. Martin Luther, that great reformer of the Protestant Reformation, which you know about, you know who he was and what he did. He nailed that 95 Thesis to the Catholic Church, he, and he unleashed the Protestant Reformation, and, and he was so influential, that is, God's hand was so upon him that he started not just uh, an entire, the entire Protestant faith, but he also started Lutheranism. And so many different ministries, we may not even be here today if it wasn't for his boldness and courage of what he did. But check this out. This is what he said about this psalm. 
back in the 1500s. He said, this is a prophecy concerning Christ that all peoples out of all kingdoms and islands shall know Christ in his kingdom. What I do know is that this psalm is a precursor for one day all nations will be surrounded God's throne and we'll be worshiping God together. Then, a few hundred years into the future, from the 1500s, you have the 1800s. And one of my role models, Charles Spurgeon. And in his three-volume commentary uh, called The Treasury of David, there he has thoughts and commentary on every single psalm from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 150. Here's what he says about Psalm 117. This psalm, which very little, very little in its letter, is exceedingly large in its spirit. For bursting beyond all bounds of race or nationality, it calls upon all mankind to praise the name of the Lord. And if I may... Here's my concluding thought about this psalm and how it relates to our life and mankind as a whole. God is the true personal Lord who grants mercy to pardon guilty sinners. And because of that, we are called to praise the Lord. I wonder, would you be willing to praise the Lord for the rest of your life? Listen to these words. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise the Lord. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith.